Thank you for downloading the Beacon Church podcast. We hope that you enjoy today's message and that you find that God speaks to you through it. Let's pray together. In Deuteronomy it says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And Father, we are so, so privileged to be a people who hear you speak and who have your written word. We are so, so privileged. Lord, we are aware that there are places around the world where it's illegal to own a copy of your word, where people hide it under the bed, where people are arrested if they're found with a copy. We are aware. We are aware, Lord, that up to a couple of hundred years ago, most of the people who lived in this nation would not have been able to read. They would not have been able to read your word. We are aware that going back slightly longer, it was illegal to own a copy of the Bible in this nation. And so we come to you with gratitude that we have your word, that you speak to us, that the words that proceed from your mouth, we are able to hear. We're so grateful. We're so grateful for what we've heard this morning. We're grateful for the sense of your love that we've tasted. We thank you for the songs that we've sung that have been based on your word. And now we come to your word. And we ask, Father, that you would speak and you'd give us ears to hear that we might not take it for granted. We not, might not come lightly. Yeah, like the song we sang that we'll tread with reverence, actually. Because, Lord, even if a whole load of what I say needs to be burnt away. There will be some of it that will be your word. And so we come humbly and reverently, expectantly and gratefully. And we ask your God, speak to us. Because we cannot live by bread alone. We want to live by every word that proceeds from your mouth. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've come in the, our series on the Beatitudes to uh, this one, and some of my notes will just come up. Don't, don't worry about that. I've, as always, I've just been disorganized and lastminute.com, and so poor Alicia, I just gave her my notes and said, make a PowerPoint out of those, which she has done. She just said, I'm so stressed. So I'm sorry, Alicia, I will try harder. Um, so don't let that distract you. If it's helpful, look at it, but if it's not, just... Look at me. Um, if that doesn't help you, look outside. I mean, <laughs> so we've come to the Beatitude, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And actually, uh, the response I've just had from Pauline about that is uh, not a surprising one. She's, when I said, no, we're, we're going we're to be looking at blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And Pauline said, I think I'll go and do creche. <laughs> um, 
And it, that's probably quite a common response. I think that would have, that's been my response up till now with actually quite a lot of the Beatitudes. But actually, when we respond in that way, we're, seeing, we're reading the Beatitudes entirely wrong because the Beatitudes are not a job description or a person specification for acceptance. You must be merciful and then you'll be accepted. You must do this, 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 and this. They are not that. They are a wonderful picture of God's blessing. Blessed means supreme favour. Do you know what the Beatitudes are like? It's like Jesus giving us God's bank account details and saying, have a blast. <laughs> Blessed are the poor in spirit. Oh, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You know what that means? That means that God does this thing where he constrains our hearts and he convicts us and we feel rubbish, we feel poor in spirit. Oh God, what am I like before you? And he says, ah, good, fantastic. Put some numbers in. Kingdom of heaven's yours when you feel like that. Blessed are those who mourn, for they'll be comforted. We heard Kate and John talk powerfully about that. But also there's a sense of mourning when God convicts us, when we first come to him with our sin. We think, oh... No, I'm just rubbish. And he says, ah, good. You morning? Fantastic. Punch the code in? Fantastic. You're going to be comforted. Do you know, I've almost sensed that as Jesus said this to his disciples, it was like he was spinning around. Blessed are you if you're, if you're hungry. If you're hungry and thirst for righteousness, great. If you've got that feeling inside you, oh, I, I don't feel full. I don't feel satisfied. It's, the bread of this world is not enough. I want more. He says, great. You'll be filled. Punch the number in. Blessed are the merciful, for they'll be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. The first thing we need to understand is that as far as God is concerned, we are already pure. If you think you can make yourself pure, well, you can more easily fly to the moon. If you read that passage and you think, oh boy, I'm just aware of how unpure I am. That is not how God sees you. He says, you're pure. You're faultless. You're blameless. Because all the impurity, that's, that's on my son. I was dealt with. I was dealt with. What Jesus is saying when he says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. He's looking his disciples in the face and he's saying, oh, how favoured you are. Because you're pure in heart. Because my father's done it for you. Because of me, because of what I'm about to do. Oh, how favoured you are. Because you're pure in heart. Oh, how blessed. Do you know what? Your lottery numbers have come up. That's what the Beatitudes are. They are a description of what it is like to be saved.
They are not a list of rules because actually none of them can you do. They are all to do with what he has done and will do in us. The first thing we need to understand is that as far as God is concerned, we are already pure. Blessed. Blessed, favoured are the pure in heart. For they will see God. You see, it says in Jeremiah, doesn't it, and we quite often quote this, and I understand why we do, because we have to remember it, but in Jeremiah 17 it says, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? And yet Jesus is saying, oh, blessed are the pure in heart. Yeah, but Lord, our hearts are deceitful. They're beyond cure. Who can understand it? Fortunately for us, God understands our hearts and knew exactly what was needed to deal with it. He knew. He understands what the human heart is like. He has put in place the remedy for it. He has cured it. If you're saved now, if you're a Christian, if you took that step where one day you knelt and said, Jesus, I can't do it any longer, then you are pure in heart. You might have some residue, but as far as he is concerned, your heart is no longer deceitful. Your heart is pure. The very seat of your being. When the Bible talks about the heart, it's not talking about it in the same way that we read it in our culture. It's talking about the very essence of who you are. Every bit of you from top to toe. As far as God's concerned, you're pure. When we come to the Beatitudes and when we come to this one, blessed are the pure in heart. It is not a condemnation. It is not a, oh, God, I've got to live up to that now as well. Merciful, pure in heart, give up. It's a description of who you are in Christ. That's what it is. Blessed are the pure in heart. You can almost sense Jesus spinning around with joy as he says it to his disciples. This was the joy that was set before him. This was why he was going to endure the cross, so that these things, these blesseds, could be yours and could be mine. This is a description of what it's like to belong. It's not a list of criteria that you have to match before you're accepted. It's a description of what it means to belong. It says in Ephesians 1, He chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. He predestined us in love for adoption through Jesus Christ in accordance with the pleasure of his will and to the praise of his glorious grace, which he's freely given us in the one he loves. You are chosen to be blameless. And that's how he sees you. Blameless. No spot of guilt remains on me 
while Jesus' blood in earth and sky, mercy, free, boundless mercy cries. Thank you, Jesus. Absolutely right. Thank you, Jesus. Peter says this, though you've not seen him, though you've not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. And you're filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You're receiving the Beatitudes. Do you know, sometimes we have to return to this. I don't know about you, but sometimes I can over-sophisticate the gospel. Sometimes I need to come back. I can't make myself pure any more than I can fly to the moon, but God's done it for me. Don't ever try to outgrow the good news of the gospel, to mature yourself out of it, to over-sophisticate yourself. We need to come back regularly to this. Unconditional forgiveness. Acceptance. Saved from an eternity in the fiery furnace of hell. This is what um, Charles Spurgeon says, and so get through that you have to get past the old the old English language. I like this quote. He says, I think there are some brethren who never see God as well as some others do. They are generally puzzled about some doctrinal point or other, and their time is mostly taken up by answering questions or removing doubts. Perhaps the poor, humble countrywoman who sits in the aisle and knows nothing more than that her Bible is true and that God always keeps his promises sees a great deal more of God than the learned and quibbling brother who vexes himself about foolish questions to no profit. <laughs> he doesn't mince his words, Charles Spurgeon, does he? But you know, there's just something in that around returning to the simplicity of our faith. We need to do it regularly. If you read a lot of books and listen to a lot of online sermons, if you like to listen to debates between prominent Christians who are on one or other side of a particular doctrinal fence, ask yourself the question, why am I doing it? Why am I doing it? A few years ago, I remember I was really troubled with the whole question of evolution. And I, I worried that if somebody asked me about it, someone who's not a Christian, that I would just be a bit vague and unclear about what I believed. And so I started to buy books on it. And I started to read up on it. And I probably did that over the course of a two, two and a half year period, maybe. 
I bought lots of stuff. I read articles. Do you know what? At the end of it, I still thought, oh, God, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Now, I'm not saying that's not a good thing to do. But do you know what? I wonder if, if I'd spent more time just coming back to the gospel, to the good news. Probably would have been better for me and probably would have been better for people that I met because actually, do you know what it's like when we come back to the gospel, everything else gets put in its right perspective. Those things aren't so important anymore. I'm not so worried now about whether God did it through this intelligent design process or whether he used evolution or whether he did it all in seven days. And the answer to all of that is, I don't know. I'm a bear of small brain. I don't know. I don't know. And I don't care. You know, the interesting thing is, and I've told you this before, but when you're involved in Alpha courses, you meet people who've got the most weird and wacky questions to ask. You really, really do. And the policy on Alpha is that you don't try and answer them. You just say, oh, it's a really interesting question. <laughs> what do we all think about that? That's what you do. And at first, you know, that seems a bit like a cop-out. But actually, over years of Owen and I being involved in Alpha courses, I think we both probably came to one conclusion. And that is that people on Alpha courses meet God because they see Jesus in the people who are helping them through the course. They meet Jesus through the people. They encounter him, and suddenly those questions that are so massive... What about suffering? It's a big question. Suddenly some of those questions just are put into perspective. They don't seem so important anymore because they've met Jesus. They've found the truth of the gospel. The gospel that says, you come with nothing, I make you pure. I would encourage you to... Th- to think about how simple your faith is. And if you know that you're one of those people, and I can be like this, who's constantly finding the next sermon to listen to, the next article to read, the next blog, the next debate about Holy Spirit or not Holy Spirit, or predestination or not predestination. Ask yourself why you're doing it. Ask yourself, is this taking me more towards him or further away? Does this stir worship in me or perplexity? And if it stirs perplexity in you, my advice is leave it out for a bit. You'll hear some fantastic sermons, and I'm not in any way saying don't do it, because I love listening to a Tim Keller every now and then, and that sort of thing. But, you know, I think one of the things that I've just observed over recent years is that there has been a tendency in us, and it's in me too, to think, well, I'd re- I want to hear some really good quality teaching. You know. Okay. I want to hear some really good quality teaching. So um, I, can't, I can't get to New York. Um, and uh, so... 
yeah, no, I'll, I'll, listen to, I'll listen to the series that Keller's doing on this, that, or the other, or I'll listen to the series that Driscoll's doing on this, that, or the other. Now, please don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying that there's anything necessarily wrong in that, but what I've noticed happening, I noticed it with a young man not in this church, in another church, who I was talking to about three weeks ago. We'd gone out for a drink, and he just said, oh, yeah, no, I'm just finding it a bit difficult in my church, and, you know, so I'm just, I'm doing a bit of, looking around at the moment and I'm just listening to stuff online and that's great and, and I said to him the thing is that Jesus promises to be with you when two or three are gathered together there's something about the dynamic of what he brings through worship and through the word when we are together as his church and you miss out on that if you begin to think well Guys at my place, they're, you know, they do their best, they're okay, they're not as eloquent as some others. So let me see if I can backfill a bit by topping up with stuff. Do you know what? Sometimes better to think, I wonder if I should just listen, re-listen to what I heard on Sunday. Why? Well, because a brilliant speaker? No, not because of that but because there's something in the dynamic of what God brings to his people when they are together as his chosen people. So just be on your guard around that. Anything that begins to move your faith into the academic, away from worship, away from simplicity, be on your guard. I tell you, if you're on your guard against it and if you return to the simplicity of the gospel, it will delight your heart and it will change you and suddenly the things that you thought you really needed to be on top of and understand just won't become so important to you anymore and other people will notice it around you. You seem really at peace. You seem really peaceful about that stuff that's going on in your life. Yeah, do you know, it's just trust. <laughs> yeah, that's, what, that's what people are attracted to. They're not attracted to whether you can explain the concept of the Trinity. <laughs> They're attracted to simple, pure, childlike faith and trust. Do you know that was those words of, John, of Charles Spurgeon about the woman who sits in the, in the aisle and just believes her Bible is true and believes that God answers prayer. I thought, oh yeah, that resonates with me. It does. Simplicity of faith. Well, you would expect some sort of homework or list from a preach, wouldn't you? Because I've just told you about the lovely stuff. But do you know what? There isn't one. There isn't a list of things that you've got to do to be pure in heart because it's been done for you already. But let's just look at one little passage which might just give us a little bit of clue about what we can do. And actually, we've sung about it, and it's come up this morning already. And it's Hebrews 10, chapter 14. And again, it reinforces that we can't do anything, but it does say something else too. Hebrews 10, 14. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. All right? He has made you perfect forever, and he is making you holy. 
So you are pure in his sight. And it's a bit like this. You've joined the royal family. You've joined the royal family. You've been picked up from the gutter and you've been adopted into the royal family, the king's family. And now, what he's about in you is training you how to live like a royal. That's what he's doing. He's pulled you out of the gutter. He's brought you into the palace. And now he says, right, you're adopted, you're mine. It's like the story of the prince and the pauper, you know. You're mine now. Okay, let's train you so that you actually begin to live up what I've done in you, so that you begin to live like a member of the royal family. You're, you're a royal now. That was all past. You're pure, pure bloodline, adopted, heirs. You're heirs of everything that's mine. So let's just now show you how royals live. That's what sanctification is. That's what being made holy is. It's not something that you have to do. In fact, it's not something you can do. Notice what it says. He is made perfect forever. Those who are being made holy. Who does the being made holy bit? He does. You can't do it. Stop trying. You'll make a mess of it. We're being made holy. We're not making ourselves holy. But the rate at which we will learn to be like the royal family is probably directly proportionate to the amount that we will surrender. So the rate at which we will be made holy, the rate at which we will start to live like the royal he's made us to be, is directly proportionate to the amount that we will surrender. And when you surrender... This is what you do. You do nothing. That's what surrendering is. Surrendering is, I give up. Give up. You place yourself at the mercy of the one you're surrendering to. It can feel a little scary. It can feel a little scary unless you're utterly convinced of the character and nature of the one you're surrendering to. Are you convinced of the character and the nature and the intention of the one that we're called to surrender to? Are you convinced? If you are, you'll surrender. When the Galatian church started to try themselves to make themselves pure... Paul was really angry about it. He told them foolish. He told them they were foolish and he rebuked them severely because they were trying to make themselves pure. They'd gone back to doing certain rites and some of them were even thinking about being circumcised and all sorts of other stuff. And Paul comes down on them hard when they're trying to make themselves pure. Because you can't do it. Only he has done it and can do it. And Jesus exemplifies beautifully the process of being clean, staying clean. And so it's interesting that that word that, that is used for pure is the same word that he uses in John's Gospel 
when he says to the disciples, you are clean. You are clean. And I've asked, um, I've asked Pete to come up and do something for me. So he doesn't know what he's going to do yet. He has absolutely no idea. Uh, so let me start. Um, By saying to Pete, by asking Pete a question. <laughs> Pete, do you trust me? Yes. <laughs> Let me ask him that question again. Is this Pete. Like fall back and you catch me? Is it one of those things? No. <laughs> Pete, do you trust me? I think so. <laughs> okay. That'll have to do. Okay, sit down. Pete, do you trust me? Yes. I want you to think about how you're feeling. Okay. And in a minute, I'm going to ask you about that. Okay. Yeah. Okay, cool. Fairly difficult for me. Boy, you've got tight socks on, mate. <laughs> for the sake of those who may be listening online to this sermon, <laughs> currently removing Pete's shoes and socks. Does that feel? It's a, it's a nice temperature. It's very good. Okay, good, good, good. People pay money for this. It's quite. I'm not going to attempt to try the socks. That's right. It's a bit tricky to get them off, so I'm not optimistic. 
Okay, Pete, I want you to tell me a little bit about uh, how that felt, how that process felt, uh, how it felt when you started to realise what I might be going to do. Tell us a little bit about how it felt. Probably a bit embarrassing. Yeah, a bit embarrassing. Um, yeah, I think just... Yeah, probably that was the first first emotion. Oh, it sounds really silly. There's a hole in my sock. <laughs> I kind of felt embarrassed by that. Yeah, okay. Like, that sounds really silly, but kind of my first thought was, oh, that. that's a bit embarrassing. Okay, um, yeah. And sort of, I don't want people to see this. <laughs> okay, that's really, really important. That's really, really important what Pete's just said. So Pete said, I didn't want people to see that. I, didn't, I was embarrassed because I knew I had a hole in my sock. I didn't want people to see that. I didn't want you to see that. Yeah? Okay. So embarrassed. But then, actually, yeah, but then I actually felt quite comforted. It's a strange phrase, I suppose. Because it wasn't the actual feeling of the warm water or anything like that, but it was, it wasn't actually that strange in the end. It wasn't that strange in the end. No. Didn't feel like it was, it was too difficult once it started. No. Once you got through the initial, and I, and I was obviously trying to do what you were encouraging, which was to almost self-analyse what I might be feeling, and obviously I'm sure you'll probably expand on it. The what Jesus does to his disciples and so on. So I was trying to in my head think, well, actually, yeah, it did help me to to think and to focus a little bit on what what Jesus was trying to demonstrate through that. I don't know what the answer is. Okay. Hopefully you'll help, but it did help me reflect on that, definitely. Okay. Thanks, Pete. Let's say thanks, Pete. Thank you, mate. Let's listen to the passage from John where Jesus talks about exactly what he did so it's John chapter 13 and he came to Simon Peter who said to him Lord you're going to wash my feet and Jesus replied you do not realize now what I'm doing but later you'll understand no said Peter you shall never wash my feet Jesus answered unless I wash you you have no part with me then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Think yourself lucky, Pete. <laughs> Jesus answered, a person who's had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean. And that word clean is the same word that's used for pure. Where Jesus talks about the pure in heart will see God. It's the same word. His whole body is clean, and you are clean. Though not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he'd finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes, returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you, he asked them. You rightly call me teacher and Lord, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet, I've set you an example so that you should do as I've done for you. I tell you the truth, no master servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. 
Now, if you do these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. You'll be blessed if you do them. You see, one of the things that helps me to grow in purity, one of the things that I believe God uses to make me more like the royal that he wants me to be, is he uses you to do that. He helps me to grow and live up to what I am, and it's the washing of the feet that I need from you. I don't need you to clean me because he's cleaned me, I'm clean. But I do have dirty feet now and then. My feet are sometimes dirty, and I can't always reach, and I can't always see it, And so actually what I need is I need you to help me with that. But it's not that easy for us. Do you know, I don't think I've ever had my feet washed by anybody. And I read an article, brief little article, by uh, Justin Welby, the Archbishop of Canterbury, who said, uh, because obviously in the the Anglican tradition they do quite a lot of feet washing. And uh, is that me? Yeah, that's better. They do quite a lot of feet washing in uh, Anglican churches when it comes up to the end of Lent. And, uh, and Justin Welby said, he's, he said, I always feel deeply uncomfortable if somebody washes my feet. See, actually for me, washing Pete's feet didn't actually feel that uncomfortable. It was okay. He had very clean feet. So maybe I'd have felt differently if they were dirty. I hope not, but I'd like to think I, w- I wouldn't. But But actually, it's really difficult for me to submit to you because I'm a bit embarrassed about my dirty feet. But boy, do I need, I need to. So um, actually, uh, Janine's got another bowl. And uh, so let me just tell you this before I ask the next question. So this morning I was I slept over at St Paul's last night because we we do a bit of security stuff over this uh, over this uh, fortnight so that people who are praying just feel safe because obviously I can deal with any intruders. Um, total illusion, but I think it helps to make people feel better. Um, and uh, so I was there this morning, and um, and so I didn't get home really to have a shower. So I've not had a shower this morning. Uh, quick wash, but um, I had one yesterday, but I've been walking around in my shoes um, yesterday, so do you know what, I've no idea what my feet are like, and I've never had my feet washed before, and when I thought about the prospect of doing that, I felt exactly what Pete felt, I thought, suppose, suppose my feet are just a bit rank, suppose they smell, Suppose there's like those ugly bits of dry skin you can get on your feet. Suppose my socks have holes in. I, I, to be honest, I haven't checked. I felt really awkward about the prospect of having my feet washed. But do you know, actually, it is fundamental if I am going to become more like him. Because it, I can't see all of my impurity. I can't see the bits of me that aren't like him yet. If I could, I'd do something about them, but I can't. And so I have to surrender and humble myself and ask somebody to come and wash my feet.
So Janine, do you want to bring the, the next one up? Because I wasn't sure how dirty Pete's feet were going to be, so I thought, let's have two. <laughs> no, I didn't really think that at all. So I would like someone to come and wash my feet, please. It's a humbling experience for me to do this, because I've never asked somebody to do this before. But actually, I need it. I need somebody to come and wash my feet. I want a volunteer. Thank you, Ben. And I don't know whether this is what it feels like, but um, so I did a, I, I, you know, I'm on this course at the moment. Yeah, the soap's there. Um, you can start. <laughs> Actually, I might quite enjoy this. Um, I'm on this course at the moment. Some of you will know I'm doing this course at Spurgeon's College, which is a college, um, a theological college. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, they filmed me and asked me about the course and how I felt about it. Was I enjoying it? That type of stuff. And they said, oh, if you could just drop in to the conversation as many times as you possibly can at Spurgeon's College. And I said, oh, okay then, because obviously this is for publicity materials. And I feel a little bit like like that saying this to you when we've banged on about prayer groups quite a lot already but do you know what this is really what I feel really fits in with what, we, what we're doing at the moment around prayer groups around making ourselves vulnerable around being prepared for some of our mucky stuff to be exposed to trust the person that we're doing it with. See, I chose Pete because we've got relationship. And I hoped that he would trust me. And I was fairly sure that he would. And actually, that's how I feel about Ben, so I'm quite pleased that it was you, really. Because <laughs> trust is absolutely vital if I am going to be prepared for you to just see some of my stuff if I'm going to expose it to you so that you can see me as I am and begin to tell me Phil have you thought about this I just wonder about that and do you know I would rather give up my embarrassment and know that I'm taking another step on the road to living in purity like he's made me pure I would rather give that up and it's quite a hard thing to do like I say, I've never had this done before. But um, probably talking helps because I'm not having to think about it too much. But actually, like Pete, actually the process is, it feels great. It feels great. I feel loved. I feel nurtured. I feel cared for. I feel like this person is prepared to put themselves out for me to deal with my stuff. It's a great feeling. It's a really great feeling. And it's helping me to become pure. And do you know the other thing it's doing? It's actually helping Ben in his purity journey as well. That's what it's doing. It's, it's blessing both of us. It's taking both of us on our journey. And so what I want to really encourage you to do is not to try and work at making yourselves pure because you don't need to do that because he's done it already but to cooperate with him as he now teaches you what it means to live pure. 
And that will be surrendering to him and to his Holy Spirit and to the plumb line of his word. Because remember where we started? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. But also to surrender to each other. Because if we don't do that, do you know what? We'll always end up with some stuff that we never deal with. Not because we don't want to, but because we don't necessarily see it. And we need help with it. And it's all about us living more like him and being more like Jesus and other people seeing that and him taking us from one degree of glory to another. That's what it's about. So let me encourage you. You don't need to do anything to become pure. You're already pure in his sight. If you want to live pure, you don't have to do anything. You just have to give up. You just have to surrender. And I think as a church, we're on a journey where we're learning to do that. John. Just. Just as the band come back, um, we were praying in the prayer meeting this morning and it was very clear. We were praying about these barriers, things that get in the way. One of those big things is actually the stuff in us, things that hold us back where we feel embarrassed. Maybe things have happened in our lives and hence we've been praying all the way through this service about being defenseless. Are we really defenseless? And I think it'd be wrong for us to leave this morning because without having an opportunity to respond because I know that God has clearly spoken. He's presenced himself here for a purpose. And we have a choice. We can actually get up and sing a song and all go home. Or we can face maybe some of those blocks, some of those barriers, some of those embarrassments within us and respond. We were praying just at the end of the worship there about being defenseless and surrendering. What has Phil been speaking on? That true surrender. And I just happened to write this down as he was talking. The speed at which we will be transformed is the degree that we will surrender. If you want to start playing. So I'd like us just to stand and just take a moment. We just close our eyes and this morning, Father, you are here for a purpose. We can choose this morning to actually go home unchanged. Maybe touched by the worship where we haven't grabbed the opportunity to hear your word and your word was to step forward as it were to push through to surrender to allow you to do your work in our lives to take us to a greater place of holiness in you Lord this morning we want to be defenseless to the truth of your word we want to surrender to you I remember when I first was saved I stood at the front of a church and I put my both my hands out and I said Lord I give up and he came in power the Holy Spirit came in power on my life and I was never the same again I want that again do you not want to be touched like that I just saw a bright light and I, I fell and I was just 
touched by the power of God. As I said, God, I give up. It's just about you. I can't do it. I need you. We need more of his love to transform us, to break down those defenses, break down the barriers. We've been singing about his love. We need his love today. It's the only thing that can really transform us. This morning, I allow the Holy Spirit to come and touch us, transform us, surrender. For some, it may be that you want to get out of your seat and just come and stand at the front to push through almost the embarrassment of even where you stand, where you position yourself. Even in this room today, you take a step and you say, I'm going to push through. I'm going to step out. I'm not going to walk away the same this morning. As we sing this song, allow God to seal something today. Don't allow the enemy to rob it. Don't allow the birds of the air to pick up the seed and take it away. Make sure it goes into good ground and it brings forth good fruit. Father, we ask you to come now at the presence of your Holy Spirit. We ask you to pour your love into this place as we worship you and we respond in Jesus' name. Amen. You have just listened to a Beacon Church recording. If you would like more information about us, our vision, the team, or upcoming events, please visit our website, which is beacon-church.org. You can email us at office at beacon-church.com or find us socially on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You are welcome to share this recording as you wish, but please do not make any edits without express consent. Thank you.